Yeah, sometimes uh, I've not been very good during the week, so I bring my wife to keep me straight on Sundays at least. Amen? Now, I did want to say, I know Brother Buddy, he um, doesn't have a problem getting in front of the microphone, but Miss Sheena, I am disappointed you didn't have a speech prepared today. Where does she go? Does she leave? She's going to fuss at me, but it, we'll, we'll be glad for you to give a speech today. I'm just messing with her. I'm, I knew she would love me saying that. Now, listen, to see... I'm a child at heart, so I'm going to be wanting to make, y'all hadn't typically been putting that up there, I don't think, so I'm, this, this is going to mess with me a little bit today, so if I start making hand signs or some kind of funny gestures, um, y'all bear with me this morning. All right, thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit in this place. Thank you for sending new faces in here today. I don't know who you are because this is not my uh, local church home. Uh, but if you don't know me, that's fine. There is a bunch of folks here that would love to get to know you. And they want to journey together with you and your walk with Christ. And maybe you don't have a walk with Christ right now. They want to help you learn what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you've come to a great place. You come to a place of love, a place of biblical understanding, a place that, that wants to see you grow in what it means to be a follower of Jesus the Christ. And I'm glad that you're here today. And I say all that to say um, my job is, is, is to come in and, and be able to share the word today. What an honor and privilege it is. And I want to say this, preference this by saying I, I am going to share my heart today. I, I don't know how much preaching it's going to be, um, but I just really felt the Lord leading me when this opportunity came to be able to share this Sunday. Um, I, I, I want to speak from an unusual perspective today. What I mean by that is I'm no longer pastoring, even though I have for many years. I'm not a local pastor anymore. But I, I have a lot of relationships with local pastors. I'm able to go into various churches, and I'm able to speak to pastors, and I, and I do a lot of reading on the current state of the pastorate. And I see in our conference that's made up of 152 churches, I, I see the struggles that a lot of churches go through, especially when they're in the same situation that you're in right now, when you're looking for that new under-shepherd, that new pastor to lead this congregation for such a time as this. And I've hinted on some of this that I'm going to share today probably with you guys before, but I just really feel like the Lord was directing me to, to just be straightforward and honest with you and kind of give you maybe an insight that you don't typically think about when you come to church on a regular basis because it might not be the world that you operate in. I know all that may sound kind of weird, but so turn to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and hopefully you'll understand today my heart and why I want to share what I believe the Lord has given me to share with you today. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4 ministries, entire ministries are named after this particular chapter in God's Word. Ephesians 4, I'm just going to begin reading with verse 11 this morning something that many of you are probably very familiar with, but it is, it is a charge to the body of Christ. It is uh, words given to us, instructions, if you will, and also an understanding that God has given all of us various gifts. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. That means everybody in here today has a gift. I said everybody in here today has a gift. Now, some people are gifted with more than one gift. And, and some people just have a bunch of them. And we can be a little envious from time to time. Those singing preachers, y'all know singing preachers? Play guitar, play the piano, do all that kind of... They, they, some people just have more gifts than others, okay? But here's one thing for certain. You have a gift from God that he has uniquely given you that he desires for you to use in the kingdom for his work and for his glory. Ephesians 4, verse 11, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Will you say equip? Now let's all say it. Equip. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love. Help us, Jesus. Woo. My wife has to remind me I got to calm down some days. Anybody have road rage like me? Well, it's getting worse, I'm telling you. Sarah, we were riding somewhere the other day, and somebody drove by, and I was... and. I was just blown away by some of the nonsense. And she just put her hand on it. Baby, you got to calm down. Is that being too real? I'm sorry. I know that's not spiritual, but I'm telling you what. And my excuse is, as a daddy of two teenage girls that are driving, these knuckleheads are on the road with my daughters who are trying to learn how to drive. Okay, that's not a good excuse, but I mean, that's, that's the one I gave my wife. And I get a little tense. Because there's some crazy people on the road. Put your phones down, people. Somebody say amen to that. Great day. That was, that was a rabbit right there. But I got to learn to speak the truth in love. That's where I was going. I got to speak the truth. It's easy to point fingers and fuss. I got to learn to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, and here's that word again, love. When each part... Say, when I'm, see, here's the thing. When I'm working properly and you're working properly, the church is going to do some massive things for the kingdom of God. But if there's only one or two people here working properly and trying to carry the weight of the work, that is not what God intended. That is not what Ephesians 4 is all about. Ephesians 4 is a crying out to the body of believers to say, God has gifted you. You have specific giftings, and God wants every one of us to work in those giftings. And when we do, the body of Christ brings glory to God, and that's what it's all about. That's why we exist. So I want to share with you, Stoneville PH Church, my heart concerning the state of the pastorate today. I want you to just hear from an insider, if you will, a Maybe a few things that the average pastor would not share to his congregation because it would be kind of weird to share some of the struggles that are taking place in the pastorate. Some of the things that pastors deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, I just want to kind of let you into that world as you continue to pray and seek and as people have turned in resumes and they're praying about, is this where God would have me lead? And as your leadership is preparing and they're seeking the face of God to determine who that is so they can present to this congregation. And you guys can say, this is the person God has for us. But folks, I want to just give you a glimpse. I want to give you a glimpse into that world today. Let me start by stating the obvious. Our world is changing rapidly. Ministry is changing, whether we want it to or not. Pastors are facing things they've never faced before in our, in, at least in, in my generation, in the generations before me. We're living in strange days. 
I want you to hear this morning that the pressures that pastors face today is ever-increasing. Many communities who once held that, that pastor, that title, they, if you were a local pastor, you were held in high regard. You were held in esteem because of your position, because of your responsibilities, because of the call that God had on your life. Today, I want to tell you that term pastor is looked at with disdain. People don't hold you in high regard as they once did. Matter of fact, they hear pastor and they hear scandal and distrust because now we are afforded through our phones and our TVs and we have immediate access to any pastor who has fallen around the country or around the world. No matter how big their ministry is or no matter how small, we have access to see their failures. And people who don't have relationship with Jesus Christ, people who are looking at the churches are just saying, why do I want to be a part of that? And all of a sudden, that name, that title that's been given to folks who are answering the call of God is looked at differently. Recently, I was attending the EVUSA gathering in Goldsboro, North Carolina. It's Evangelism USA based out of Oklahoma. We have a yearly gathering where we meet together and encourage one another and talk about evangelism and how to build churches and plant churches and all these things that are a part of what I am leading at Cornerstone Conference. And the gathering, they, they called in one gentleman who I'd never met before. He's from a different organization, but his mission is to raise up community chaplains. Community chaplains that are available to minister to people's needs, hurting, loss, whatever their need may be, but he specifically calls them community chaplains. And I thought it was fascinating, the term that he chose to use. And after he spoke more, and I won't share all of it today, but I've come to find out, he said that same thing. He said, because when we began to call them pastors, people looked at them differently. But see, the word chaplain, if you go to a hospital, you call for a chaplain. See, he kind of comes on, on a ground that people don't go say, oh, well, well, who do you pastor? What church do you pastor? A chaplain is coming representing, well, he can represent all kinds of stuff, to be honest with you. But, but from a community perspective, it's not as scary. And I thought, wow. So now we've got to look at our pastor's in a different light, if you will, because of just how the community perceives them. The age of our pastors is increasing. 2017 survey was done. The age of throughout denominations, the age, average age of a pastor was 54. That had gone up for 10 years and about over a 20-year period. It used to be in the early 40s. Now it's 54. With... More and more, the majority, just like our nation, is, is gaining in age. We're going to have the greatest number of retirees coming up every single day. There's more and more people retiring. Guess what? Every single day, there's more and more pastors that are crossing the 65-year-old age mark. Nothing wrong with older pastors. We're living longer. Praise God. That's a good thing. That just means they got more wisdom, I hope. But what it also means is there's a telltale sign is that there's not a younger generation coming up behind them to carry on the work of the Lord. Folks, that's a problem. When we don't have a younger generation that's being trained and being raised up, when you study the Jewish culture of how a rabbi would be sought after by children who wanted to study and follow. Do you realize that young people would have to follow around a rabbi for 30 years before they were allowed to teach? Does that sound familiar? How long did Jesus walk this earth before his ministry was technically launched? It's 30 years. Come on, somebody. But I'm here to tell you, sadly, that we don't have young people knocking down the door saying, who can I follow around? Who can I be like? Who can I gain wisdom from? 
because I want to be like them. Because here, let me tell you something. The pastorate is a different this day and time. People are looking at it different. And, 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 and young people are automatically seeing the overwhelming pressures that are being put on. And they're saying, you know what? I think I can find something else to do. I look at our schools of ministry, our colleges and universities, and I get reports that we have some of the lowest enrollment in our school of Christian ministries. I had one professor tell me, he said, Jonathan, he said, these kids are coming. He said, there's, there's some kids called. This is specifically Emmanuel College, for example. And I was talking to a fellow there, and he said, Jonathan, there's kids that are called. God has their hand on their life. They're called to the ministry, but their parents said, listen, you need to go get another job so you can make more money, and you can, God can still use you in the ministry. But you don't want to rely on the church because that could be bad. Am I being too real this morning? I, I, I don't know why the Lord asked me to share this with Stoneville. I wish I could share it with every church, to be honest with you, but I, I just want, I want everyday folk just to be aware of the realities of what we see now, of what, what's taking place in the world. Because let me tell you something, when the church's voice goes silent, what we see is what we're dealing with today. And if we don't take a stand as the body of Christ and let people know that this is the greatest calling anybody could ever have, is to be obedient to the, using the gifts that God has, not only as a pastor, but evangelist, of a teacher, of a children's worker, of a singer, of whatever talent God's given you. It is the greatest thing you could ever do is obediently walk in your giftings with Christ. I know some of this is sounding depressing, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because i got to read it and deal with it, okay? So I'm going to let you in on my world. 85% of churches are plateaued or declining. That's not a shouting statement, is it? 85% of churches are doing this right here. They're flatlined or they're declining. Does that disturb you? That disturbs me. I don't think that's God's plan. I don't think that's his intention. I'll tell you, God is still moving. God is still working. But, but there is a need in our churches today for revival that goes beyond just what takes place in this room. We've got to revive our communities. This is a charging station right in here. This altar is a sending port. This is a place to come in here and charge up like they're doing those electric vehicles you see. You get charged in here and then you go out and you do what God's called you to do. 85%. Listen to this. 42% of pastors are seriously thinking about quitting. And that is up from 29% since 2011. 42% are saying, ah, there's probably got something else I can do better than this than to deal with this pressure, to deal with all of the things that I have to carry. There's something else. According to the most recent Barna survey, pastors cite the following reasons for uh, their, their main reasons behind their desire to exit the ministry. Let me give you an insight into this world. Number one, the immense stress of the job. That was the overwhelming, overwhelming majority. The immense stress of the job. Let me just ask you something. There, there's, there's three women in my household, all right? I can't keep them happy. Not all the time. How in the world can I keep all of you happy? Please understand, when a pastor tells me everybody in the church is happy, my first thought is, you're leaving something out, bro. It's leaving something out. Because Jesus couldn't even keep everybody happy. The more Jesus talked, the more people walked away. Because as he got deeper in what it called, what it was uh, the cause of following him, guess what? More people said, 
mm, I was with you earlier, buddy, but that's a little too much for me to handle. You want me to give up what to follow you? I'll just sell everything you have, and eternity is yours. Ah, I can do anything. I mean, I've been keeping the laws. I've been good. I've been, and the rich young ruler, what did he say? He said, that's the one thing I can't do. You see, there's going to be things in our lives that God calls us to that, that we're going to come up to a wall and say, I can do this, this, and this, but I don't know about that. And yet pastors are called to preach about those very things that some folks say, well, preacher, you shouldn't go there. The stress. Second thing, feeling lonely and isolated. I can attest from experience it's one of the most loneliest jobs on the planet. How can a pastor be lonely with all the people in the church? Folks, let me tell you something. This is too honest, and I don't even know. I'm probably going to get in trouble for sharing this, but folks, when a pastor comes to a church, his first thought is when you come to him, I can't speak for everybody. I shouldn't say that. But there's a tendency to say, what are they after? What's their angle? Is that too real? I feel like I'm going to get in trouble saying this. I just, sorry. I'm trying to be real with you today. Because I want you to have empathy. I want you to have understanding. Sometimes it's hard because I talk with pastors who they shared their hearts and they shared, they were too real with their church folks and it backfired on him because they found out the pastor was a human just like them. And they had raised this bar so high that the pastor could never fail. And when he failed, they didn't know how to handle it. That's not of God. If you read the Bible, you found out every single person that God used, they were messed up. They had some baggage. They had issues that they brought to the table. And so many of them said, God, why would you use me? And it's still being said today. Lord, why would you use me? It doesn't make sense. God says, it sure doesn't. That's why I want to use you, because I need to receive the glory, not you. See, I can go down. The current political divisions that are going on, pastors don't know how to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. They're unhappy about the effect it's had on their family. Confession, my wife's in here today. My first senior pastorate, man, I was all in. I thought that I was supposed to be at everybody's beck and call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But what I forgot was is that God had first given me my own family to lead. And that there were other people that had giftings and I wasn't the answer to everybody's need. Please receive that. My family was hurt because all you had to do was pick up a call at 2.30 in the morning, whenever it was, and I'm gone, I'm gone, I'm gone. I'm leaving my wife with little children in the house, and she's going like, I need my husband. And the first time you do something that somebody doesn't like, that person's gone to another church to find another person that will be willing to come at their beck and call. Are y'all hearing my heart this morning? The body of Christ. I'm going to give you a couple of examples if y'all hang with me. See, the true desire of a shepherd is to see the flock transformed. We have more information available to us, church family, than we ever have in human history. I know I've shared about it being on the phone, but we've got something called artificial intelligence now. That, is, that we've been given access to. Matter of fact, I pulled up the other day, me and a, a gentleman in, in, the, uh, in the office, and we were looking up and we were asking it to give us sermons. And I typed in, I want a sermon on David and Goliath. And within 15 seconds, it had given me a sermon and it had even given me 
the scriptures to go with it, with a conclusion. Three-point sermon with a conclusion. Boom. There it was, and it was good. It was great information. It was accurate information. And in that amount of time, an artificial intelligence, a computer, it had read millions and millions of transcripts. And it was able to deliver that to me. Folks, here's what I want to tell you. It's not about just giving people information. We need revelation. Big difference. I can give you all the information in the world. I can tell you all the statistics in the world. But what a true shepherd's heart is looking for is that you're going to be transformed. Your life is going to be changed. You're going to be willing to be used for the glory of God, the giftings that he has given you. That's when a shepherd says, I've accomplished something for the glory of God. I want to read this to you. A famous pastor named Charles G. Finney. He was a Presbyterian pastor. But he was accustomed to upsetting his flock quite often. You know why? Well, he encouraged revivals. He emphasized that the church should take social action. In other words, we should be involved in the community and he was very bold and public about his belief that sin was voluntary. And these did not line up with the typical Presbyterian orthodoxy. He made a lot of people upset a lot, is what I'm trying to say. But in 1873, Finney was preaching in front of some fellow ministers. And he said these words. Now, I want you to think about the weight of what he's saying as I share this with you today, brethren, our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours in a great degree. He's talking about preachers. He's talking about the pulpit. If there is a, if there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, hello somebody, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the, um, if the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. Does that sound like a lot of responsibility for a preacher? This was spoken in 1873. They must have been having some issues going on back then. <laughs> we got some issues going on today. Come on, somebody. But do you hear his heart? You see why he wasn't liked by a lot of people. <laughs> Can I share that with you today because when I read that, I began to think, Wow, I don't even know when I was pastoring. I don't even know if I stopped and thought about that if I would have been able to function properly. Did I know it inside, the responsibility, how huge it was that God was given? Yes, I think, but, but sometimes naivety, like when you're a younger pastor and you're, you're just trying to make it through and you're trying to learn how to do all the things that pastors are supposed to do, but yet when you stop and recognize the gravity, the gravitas of what, the responsibility of what comes from this pulpit, it's enormous. But what I disagree with, Brother Finney, is this, is that it's not just laid on the pulpit because here's the thing, I can't do anything, but yet I can preach and I can teach, but if I don't equip, then what good are we doing outside of these walls? You can hear preaching every day of the week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anybody you want around the world now. From the guy just right down the road at this church and that church to the biggest mega churches all around the world. 
content is out there. But is your life being transformed by the word? Are you taking what you know and using it to build the kingdom? You know what? I'm not even halfway through this. So give me just a moment. Holy Spirit's going to have to direct me on this. Because I don't want to lose you. I, I, I want to share with you. God's not called us to build a country club. God's called us to build a mighty army of God. And folks, let me tell you something. If you've never been in the military, and I haven't, but I got a lot of family that is and have been, and here's the thing. For some reason, those leaders get in your face and tell you a lot of stuff you don't want to hear. Matter of fact, they make you do things that you don't want to do. And it's all because they understand the greater mission is bigger than you having what you want when you want it. Because they need those men and women serving in those armed forces that when the time comes, when the, the battle starts, they are ready and prepared to receive the marching orders and to do things that no human should ever have to be asked to do. And that's the same with the body of Christ. Paul, who could not be at everybody's beck and call, he couldn't show up to people's houses in the middle of the night because he was, he was in jail. He was writing letters. He was equipping the saints. He was calling them out. He was saying, listen, you did this really good, but you got to work on this. You guys used to be doing this really, really good, but, but then you kind of just got lax. You got comfortable where you were, and, and you decided to stay there, and you didn't allow the Spirit of God to stretch you anymore, and I'm going to have to stretch you, and he will begin to write and send those letters to the churches. What I found was is that when the people of God realize that it's not about just one person, that everything doesn't rise and fall on one person in a pulpit, but we all take collective responsibility of what God has it called us to do. God is going to give you a leader. God does use a leader to guide and direct and hear from the Lord, to preach the word, to equip you. But you have to be active. You have to be a part. You have to be willing to sacrifice along with him. And I want you to understand this morning that God is calling you to that very thing. He wants you to understand the pressure that he's giving to the man of God for that hour, for that time, for such a time as this. But he also wants you to understand how important it is that you get before the face of God and be obedient as well. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you, being plural, is speaking to a group of people, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you understand you are a walking temple of God? The spirit of the living God has chosen to be willing to live inside of you if you repent and receive forgiveness. Isn't that magnificent? That you are a temple of God. Yes, the neighbor beside you, believe it or not. If they have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're a walking temple of God. And he's trying to inspire the saints here. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So when you leave this place, responsibility is on you. You feel the weight. When you go eat, how you handle that person that serves you today. It's on you. You are a temple. You're a representative. You should feel the weight, how I respond. Do I respond in love, out of respect? Do I appreciate what that person has done for me? How do I respond? It's the little things in life that sets apart the temple of God. See, in the Old Testament, there was a reliance on the priest. He was the arbiter. He, he was the middleman, if you will. We had to go to a one single priest and say, here's my sins. And that priest would do what? He would go into the Holy of Holies. He would take his sins before God, and then he would take the people's sins 
before God and offer sacrifices. We had to have a mediator. And God said, well, I'm going to send you the mediator. And he sent his son Jesus to this earth. But then what does he say? He says that all of us have become a priesthood of believers. You're a priest. Welcome to carry some of the weight now. See, it's not all about one person carrying the weight anymore. Now you're a priesthood of believers. And God has put responsibility in your hand as well. So now you don't have to go to just one person and confess your sins. Listen, you can go to your friend. You can go to your Sunday school teacher. You can go to various people in the church and say, listen, I need you to agree with me in prayer. I understand that, that you have a relationship with Jesus. I understand that you pray to the Most High God, and I need you to join with me in prayer. You're a priesthood of believers. Let me tell you, can I, can I just tell you right quick what used to upset me? As I was learning and growing in this thing, that I realized that as the church grew, to two and three hundred people as a pastor, I realized, you know what, Jonathan, your little self can't be everywhere all the time. It took me a long time to understand that. But I found out if you were reaching people for Jesus and more people would come to the church, one person can't do it all. I'm, I'm pretty slow. I'm just slow, okay? So then I had to start figuring out, well, who else am I going to get to help come alongside? Can I give you an example? I don't know if this has ever happened to you before, but I show up to a hospital room. Maybe I got there a few hours late from whatever I was doing. I couldn't get there immediately. And there was already prayer warriors gathered in the room praying over the brother or sister in that bed. I'm talking about prayer warriors. I'm talking about people that their gifting is to connect with God Almighty. I'm talking about people that pray way more than the pastor prays. You with me? Y'all know them. You got them in here. That's their gifting. They're intercessors. And they had been in that room praying for that person. And then the little old pastor, I'd walk in there and I'd hear this. Oh, I'm so glad you're here now. Now we can pray. I'm like, say what? What do you mean now we can pray? You've got people in this room that if I needed prayer, I'd be calling them to come pray for me. You've got the saints of Almighty God gathered in this room and you're waiting for little old Jonathan to come in here and pray? Girl, somebody's already been touching heaven before I ever walked into that room. Everything did not rise and fall when the pastor showed up, but that is the ministry and the mindset that we have developed. In too many of our churches. I used to pick on the Catholics about, oh, y'all are still trying to live in the Old Testament priesthood. And then you know what I've discovered? Is that we actually act a lot like them. Because we want one person that we can either celebrate or that we can either tear down. And guess who that person often is? The person who gets to stand by behind this pulpit with a microphone. And yet we don't take responsibility for our own giftings, our own capabilities. And it works both ways. And I'm bringing this to a close. I'm leaving out a lot, but I, I don't I'll take you where I feel like I need to go to close this. Here's the thing. What you're experiencing right now is, is not... You guys have an unfair advantage because you have a gentleman who has stepped in numerous times. To God be the glory for Bishop Don Marley. So I don't even know how much y'all can understand this because it's almost not fair. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not. You ought to know that your leaders, Pastor Dole, all of you, they're still searching for a new man, but, but you're just able to continue right on. Keep on clicking. And a lot of churches that are in the position that you're in, they're trying to find a new shepherd, a new under-shepherd, if you will. Um, they don't have that luxury. And, and all of a sudden, I, I've met with it, uh, local church administrative councils or church boards, whatever you want to call them, and, and the weight that they carry on their shoulders trying to go through this process, whew, 
It's heavy. I'm not saying it's not heavy for this group either, but I'm saying to a whole nother level when you don't have somebody that comes in and just, hey, I'm going to help walk you through this. What a blessing. What a blessing. But I want to share this story right quick, and I can share it because Pastor Keith Gillum, um, he shared this publicly before, so I feel like it's okay I can share this. But I want to take you back. Many years ago, I was serving as a student pastor, and I was 32 at this particular time when this happened, and Keith Gillum, who's our world missions director for our conference and pastor is one of our largest churches in this conference as well, um, he was 42. He came down with a rare disease, and he literally was on his deathbed three times. What I mean by that is he coded three totally separate times. We thought we were losing this man of God that we loved at the young age of 42 years old. He left Emmanuel College, went straight to a little church called Whitnell PH Church in the foothills of North Carolina, and there was around 40 people there, and he had been at that church and had built it up. When I came, there was about 200, and at the time, that at 42 years of age, uh, the church was running about 500. We can see growth, and we were in the middle of a $2 million uh, expansion uh, a building that was going to be a fellowship hall and classrooms. There was all this stuff going on. We had gone to two services on Sunday morning, doing a Sunday night service, a Wednesday night service. It was crazy. Keith and I were the only two full-time pastors. We had a part-time pastor that's there now still, and then a volunteer evangelism pastor who was a state trooper. Now, it wasn't fair to be evangelism pastor and be a state trooper because he could force you to accept Jesus, okay? But that's a... a story for another day. But anyway, um, so long story short is all of a sudden this pastor who has been at this church for about 18 years at that time, somewhere along in there, 18 or 20 years, poured his life literally into this body. A workaholic, if you will. All of a sudden, he's out of the pulpit for one year. He's at Baptist Hospital. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to deal with his wife who thinks she's going to lose her husband. His two children that were in the youth group that they're wondering if they're going to lose their dad. The whole church is trying to figure out what's going on. All of a sudden, this little youth pastor is having to preach on Sunday mornings and I'm trying to share the load with the other two guys that are standing in the gap with me. And then we've got a $2 million building that's going on. And thankfully, Pastor Keith, hear this, don't miss this, had let me shadow him in everything that had been done. Every meeting with an architect, every single building's meeting, Jonathan was sitting by his side. I knew what he wanted. I knew what he expected because he had let me shadow him. I was an apprentice with a title. When this happened, we were overwhelmed as a church body, but guess what? We continued to do the work of the Lord. When I would go see Keith and he was able to talk, he would look at me and say, what are you doing here? You need to be back at the church. I'll say, well, Pastor Keith, I, I want to be here with you. I want to pray with you. He says, I need you back at the church. Yes, sir. Adios. I go back and do the work. The church continued to grow, Pastor Dole. People still came. We still, do, we still did our outreaches. We, we still did what the church was called to do. And people were coming to the church and had never even met the lead pastor who had been there for so long and had built this church. I say this for a reason. When Pastor Keith got back into the pulpit and he literally had to be helped and he sat down to be able to preach, he tells a story of that when he came back, we had a new members class. He had been out for a year. No preaching. Those new members didn't even know him, never heard him preach. And Pastor Keith admitted, he said, that kind of got away with me. Why were those people willing to join my church? And they had never even met me or heard me preach. So he asked one of the ladies, he says, ma'am, he says, why, why are you willing to join this church? You know what she told him? She said, I figured it this way. 
if the lead pastor could hire a staff this good and the church could continue to do the things it's doing this well without him even being here, that's the kind of man I want to serve under. You see, his leadership had trickled down beyond it being about one man. His leadership was about equipping and raising up the body, was about investing in apprentices, was about sending forth those people who now had no choice. If we want the church to continue on, we've got to step up and do the work. But the truth is, that wasn't the case. The truth is, they were, had already been doing it. And when the enemy tried to take out this leader, the church says, not today, Satan. We're going to keep being the church no matter what. We're going to keep doing what God's called us to do. And we're going to keep praying and believing that God's going to raise this man up and he's going to be healed. And last month, we just dedicated a 1,200-seat brand-new church auditorium. And he's still there after 38 years preaching, teaching, raising up, and sending forth. Can somebody give God praise? Amen? Stand, woo, stand with me. Stand with me this morning. Here's what I want to ask. Pastoring is a weird thing. Last confession, and then we're going to pray. We pastors have to be careful that we don't like all the attention. Let me tell you something. When enough people tell you how great you are, sometimes you tend to believe it. When you think that people are relying on you to be the one to show up to that hospital room and nobody else can do, that does something within a human being of making them think that they are super special beyond what is true. What I want you to hear this morning is that God has called you and you and you and you and you and you. God's called you to pray for, to lift up, to wave a banner for his glory. Not the man back here or the woman, but his banner. But when the body of Christ works together in love, let me tell you what happens. The weight that this man or woman has to carry, it's like all of a sudden, the body of Christ are the hands that are helping carry that weight. And the church flourishes and blossoms and lives are saved and transformed and communities are touched and God is glorified. So here's my request. If you're here today, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, make this short and simple, but it's symbolic. I think it's going to be powerful and needs to be done. If you're here and you say, Jonathan, this was kind of strange, but I want to be the greatest support arm of whoever God places in this pulpit because I realize that what God has in store for Stoneville Pentecostal Holiness Church is greater than any one person but it is about the body of Christ reaching out in love to transform this community. If that's you and you say, I, I want to do whatever God has in store for me, I want to use my gifts for the glory of God, I want you to step quickly, quickly. I want you to come to this altar, and I want us as a body of Christ, we're going to pray together. And this is symbolic of saying, I'm willing to step out. Don't, if you're not serious, don't step out. It's fine. Maybe you're not ready to do that. That's okay. But if you're serious today, I want you to step out. And I want you to say, I am willing, I'm willing to show up. 
I'm willing to be used for the glory of God. I'm willing to support. I'm not saying you got to agree with everything, but you got to support them. You got to pray. You got to be willing. That's you. This is symbolic today. So here's my closing prayer. The body of Christ. All of you, whether you stood, came forward or not, you're all going to be a part. But you determine, you have a choice, how active, how much you want to be a part. My prayer for you today is, is that whoever God places in this pulpit is going to sing your praises everywhere they go because they're going like, I've got a support team like never before. They don't just talk about it. They walk with me. They pray for me. Matter of fact, when I can't be there, they'll show up for me because that's exactly what God has done for each of us. He's shown up for us time and time again, and he will continue to do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful congregation of people that, Lord, are gathered here today. Lord, for those that maybe are watching live stream that can't be with us, Lord, you've also pricked their heart, and you're speaking to them by your spirit today, no matter where they are. But, Lord, I'm thankful that this body of believers... Lord, that are seeking your face. They're looking for an under-shepherd for such a time as this. But, Lord, I pray that today, if they leave with nothing else, that they understand that they are the body of Christ. And that, Lord, you are empowering them to do great and mighty things, things that we've never seen before. Lord, this day requires that the people of God step up to new heights. Lord, we're living in a crazy world. We, we know that we're 2,000 years closer to your coming. The disciples thought you were coming back as soon as you left. We've been waiting 2,000 years, but Lord, we don't want to just stand around and wait. We want to be active in our waiting. We want to be pursuing you, pursuing the lost, pursuing the community that needs you and understand what it means to have a body of Christ working together in unity and speaking in the truth of God's word in love. My prayer is your Holy Spirit will empower the young and the young at heart that are gathered here today. That Lord, you're going to release them in their specific gifts. You're going to use them for your glory. That Lord, they're going to have a renewed zeal to do whatever is necessary to see this Christ body succeed for the glory of God. And my prayer is that Lord Jesus, we're going to hear about lives transformed and celebrate your goodness month after month because you're that kind of God. And I give you praise today for it. In Jesus' name, amen.